morning, everybody. Welcome to Let the Music Be Your Master. Uh, I'm uh, Brandon Arnold, and joining me over the internets are... Uh, introduce yourselves, guys. I'm Jordan Harmon. Jason Johnson. All right. And we are each at our own houses this week, being quarantined. Oh, <laughs> oh what's this? I like That's it. It's nice. Right on cue. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, right on cue. <laughs> so yeah, it is uh what week of this of the quarantine is this the feels like twenty twenty seven. It feels like yeah. twenty seven or twenty eight to me. It really does, huh? It's been about seven months, yeah. But really it's only been two <laughs> weeks since we've kind of been staying home. Since uh Governor Gary Herbert said, well, at least for me, school's been closed. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's been pretty crazy. So one of the things that we've been doing is playing around with some some free music apps that the the kind people at at Korg and Moog have provided to us, not just us, but any of you. If you go to the the app store search for the Korg IK oscillator and uh, you can make oops you can make your Ooh. own loops with that thing <laughs> here's one that Jordan made this one's Jason you're supposed to wrap over the top of this by the way yeah I'm not I'm not gonna do that <laughs> yeah so pretty good the there's, corona there's loop. more where that came from Mm-hmm. And then Jason was playing around with GarageBand. What feature is this in GarageBand, Jason? Uh, that was a, that's a combination of using the sampler feature and then um, plugging out a, a bass line with my fingers on the, um, on the acoustic, the sta- upright bass is what uh-huh. that one was. I did rip well, it off. I did liberally rip it off from... Uh, uh, well, let me play track. it. Let me play it first. Here we go. Yeah, let's hear this. <laughs> so the bass is you, like typing on the computer keyboard. Yep, yep. The drum, the drums are the meters, right? Yeah, yeah. The drums are the beginning of uh, "Hey Pocky Way" by the Meters. Sped up a little bit and uh, put on a loop. I had to, I had to trim it just right and put it on a loop. And then I chopped up that, uh, that the Transformers theme song that I almost picked from a deep track. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Very well, nice. that uh, that sampling thing. Seems like it's got a lot of potential. I'm going to need to mess around with that. It's really fun. All right. Well, uh, this episode, we're going to continue with the best of the 1990s. Uh, let's uh, let's get a quick recap on, on what we had so far. Who's first? Mm. Um, Jordan, do you remember yours? I've got them written down. Yeah, I had lost my list, but I've got them. I think I started us out with Soundgarden. Uh, Rusting Cage, and 
I don't know exactly the the order that we went, but I'm pretty sure that was the first one I I put out there. Yeah, just just list all yours that you did. Okay, and then uh, we I had Lenny Kravitz's "It Ain't Over Till It's Over." We had Tribe Called Quest, uh, um, the the first two tracks from Midnight Marauders. It's it's called like Mister Biko or something like that. Cranberries linger. Indigo Girls in love with your ghost and radiohead's creep were the six that i had they were all between 90 and 94 and i or 90 and yeah 90 94 i have two more 94s so my list of top 10 is heavily (laughs) skewed towards the first half of the decade were you busy doing something else the second half yes i was high on life (laughs) (laughs) I didn't listen to music for about four years. I was a renunciate and I just, you know, I only, I only listened to one album and that was Chumbawamba's uh, hit. No. So for the listeners, uh, Jason Johnson, yeah, Jason Johnson, their eighth studio album. He told me through text, uh, text while we were deciding and I was trying to remember where we left off. And I said, so I've done six, right? I have four left. And he said, no, after you left last time, we picked Chumba Wumba for you. And it was a good, funny joke. And then I looked up Chumba Wumba last night and listened to the song, and it was worse than I could have thought. Let's just put it that way. Well, um, so yeah, we, great, we did pick it, it for burn. you, but we didn't play it in the last episode. Yeah. Really so this, this is what it sounds like. Uh, oh, there's Danny Boy. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Okay. I like I All like right. songs about resilience like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah um, so that's your seventh pick. So you got three left, George. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, those are my first six. Why don't you guys tell us your the ones you you picked? Okay, I had Nirvana, "Smells Like Teen Spirit," which after I listened to last week's episode, I realized that I never said what it was even though jason bugged me about it a few times i tried to get you to yeah i thought you were just being a punk (laughs) no no (laughs) i didn't realize i'd never told our audience what it's called i I was trying to lead you (laughs) lead you along that happens i'm guessing that happens to you a lot jason where you're being earnest and serious and someone's just ignoring you because they're like you're just being a punk and they're just ignoring you and you're like no i'm it's like the boy who cried wolf yeah there's a (laughs) there's a, a story about a kid that that cried wolf that, yeah, that yeah. resonates strongly with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that was my first unnamed pick. If uh, any of you were wondering, what is this song? Um, I had wake up by rage against machine. Suvlaki space station by slow dive and grace by Jeff Buckley. Very nice. Only oh, four right. picks, so I've I, I've still got six coming, George. I forgot you had the Jeff Buckley pick. That's right. Uh, so mine, I only had four as well. I had uh, Faith No More, Everything's Ruined, or no, Everything's Ruined, uh, A Tribe Called Quest, Electric Relaxation, Guided by Voices, I Am a Scientist, and Gang Star, Code of the Streets. Hmm. So hard to to choose these, man. Yeah, I think that brings us. I think that brings us to uh, to go time. Anything we need go to say uh, else about the '90s? I think we covered it. We, yeah. we went into detail in the first episode. So, did you, any of you guys have regrets in the in the last 
couple of weeks or was, am I the only one? About our, the first half of the 90s picks? Yeah, about your picks. <clears throat> uh, how, how could I regret any of those four songs? <laughs> I, I will tell you, I regret one, not because I don't like I'm glad we listened to it. I, I know the one song. you regret. I bet I know the one you regret. Okay, tell me. Is it Creep? It's not. What? It's not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> Apparently, because, that's the one you should regret, George. <laughs> no, it's not. But the one I regret, and I'll tell you why. It's this because oh, there's there's really two. But Soundgarden, I wish I would have chosen Temple of the Dog, Hunger Strike, because then I would have gotten uh, you would have combined, yeah, and Pearl Jam. And I love that song. I like it better than the Soundgarden song I chose. So really, oh, re- it's not nearly that. as good of a song. I regret that. And oh, that Soundgarden one was awesome. And I regret the Cranberries pick, not because I don't love it, but because just as I went through more and more songs, I was like, oh, that one, I want to, I want to add that one on there. I want to add this one. So would so, you have replaced it with a different Cranberries song? I probably would have replaced it with a different, um, with Bjork, possibly, maybe. Mm. And I would well, have moved Cranberries to uh, honorable mention. Well, why don't you, you stick around and maybe somebody will help you out? Yeah, maybe so. Oh, maybe. Maybe so. All right. Well, let's go with I have two from '94. So, um, <laughs> yep, you're up. So have we already, have eight, we already picked eight songs? Is this number nine and ten for you? <laughs> no, these will be number seven and eight, and then I'll be just sitting back for the next two hours listening to you guys and <laughs> doing very limited, maybe heckling you. So the first song we're going to start off. Uh, more what's the word more uh, i don't know if serious yeah serious is the word and this is a song from an album that nme jason you mentioned nme that they ranked as the greatest uh number one on the top 50 of greatest live albums it's from the album um the mtv unplugged album by nirvana which was recorded actually in the end of 93 but released in 94 after kurt cobain had killed himself. Um, this album to me is quite amazing. Those unplugged MTV, they were they did four songs. They did six covers. Um, they it was very different in terms of you know it was kind of a folk rock kind of setup. They didn't try to like just do their songs like with the same kind of rock energy but acoustic they they really changed around the style and the song i'm choosing is the last song from the album um it's a lead belly song it's called where did you sleep last night and this this live performance by some music critics is considered one of the best live uh live Oh, and it's up to me to play it, huh? I need to that pull this up. That is right. <laughs> okay. I was just sitting back listening to you. Being like, hey, yeah. I can't wait to hear this. Uh, Unplugged in New York. That's right. Okay. Where did you sleep last night? Here we go. My girl, my girl, don't 
plans where the sun don't ever shine I would shiver the He covers a David Bowie song. He covers the Meat Puppets. He only—they only did really one hit through this whole album. And this album it won a Grammy. Uh, I also think it actually cements it's what—it's part of the reason for Nirvana's popularity more than we realize. Like I don't think they would be have the credibility they have or the kind of hype that they get if it wasn't for this album. Is this your Personally. favorite Nirvana album? It is. And that's not that, you know, surprising. I like mellow stuff, but to me, there's more emotion. There's more um, of that kind of authenticity and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he gets really, there's a tone of desperation right here Yeah, that kicks in. I'm, take I'm pumped songs. that you picked that one. Um, hearing that, actually, that if I would remember that one, I may have been willing to pick a Nirvana song. Like that would have been the one I would have picked. I, I didn't even remember that one until hearing it. But that's a freaking great song. After the uh, the producers of MTV Unplugged were trying to talk him into doing an encore, like directly after that song, and he's arguing with them, like like. How do you tell someone to do another song after that performance? You know, he yeah. was he was like, "There's no way," and that's 14 songs in a row, no takes, and that vocal performance and the emotion. And when you watch it, so this 
you know, we've, I think it's fair. We've talked about is Nirvana overrated for the 90s? I think it's a fair argument. I still think they're great. But I do think that when thinking of the argument, you've got to listen to this album and consider where they may have been going, um, you know, in their career and what, who knows what would have happened, but that this was in repertoire, this kind of, um, this kind of range in terms of covering all these different diverse, you know, boy to lead belly, the different, and then, uh, and the, the song, there's a song, Jesus doesn't want me for a sunbeam. I, I don't even know who originally did that one, but there's all these different, songs on there that they bring in, into their own cohesive style on that album. That was definitely an album that was uh, heavy rotation for me. I listened to that way more than any other Nirvana stuff. So it's yeah, a, that's it's a great, a, that's a great, great pick. Album. I think it proves that um, the whole album kind of proves that Cobain was a, a student of music. Did you guys watch unplugged at the time? Were you guys like waiting to, to watch episodes of unplugged? Was that a thing for you guys? We didn't have MTV. You were the one. Nope. If I lived in Grandview, uh, I would have been coming over to your house to watch it. <laughs> hey, um, yeah, I, that was a big... Kelly's Chambers house, and we'd we'd do that for 120 minutes, but not for Unplugged. Yeah, 120 minutes and and Headbangers Ball were definitely bigger for me, but um, Unplugged was a big thing, and I remember this was definitely an event. Like the big ones where you had the Eric Clapton Unplugged, you had remember what the other ones but that one was was one of those that like was very clearly important in the moment if you had access to cable you kind of wanted to watch it and then it immediately um kind of reached almost like legendary status it was it was one of those that i think people were talking about very quickly after it was a it was a that's an important moment that's a, a really important collection of songs it's a, like jordan said it, it definitely reached an audience that they're their studio albums didn't like a Kara, my wife's dad bought this album for himself. Wow. Which, you know, he's, he's mostly getting fifties, early sixties kind of music. Yeah. But something about this appealed to him. Very nice. He also bought Hanson. (laughs) (coughs) My favorite band of the decade, my, my decade champ. (laughs) All right. Well, for that night, um, I deserve next 94 pick, which will be my last. Uh, other than to say, it's we're going to go in a totally different direction. First of all, second of all, um, it's a it's a rap hip hop song, and I tend to I think Jason, you're with me in that you have a bias towards East Coast hip hop over West Coast, especially during the 90s. There was this kind of of east coast west coast but there was some good stuff out of the west coast and um there's one song in particular it's it, you could maybe put it in that gangster rap category a little bit but not really it just sounds so good and it's it would every time it comes on i'll listen to the whole thing no matter what julio gangster's paradise i get not it. quite not quite almost but uh this is warren g and nate dog it regulate from 1994. I know exactly why you picked this. I 100% know exactly why you picked this. It's because it's a great song and because it samples Michael McDonald. Exactly. It has everything to do with the fact that this is a Michael McDonald hook. And it's beautiful. It's just, it, it fits the beat, everything. It's a great song. It's it a great song. There's, by the way, there's no kind of about it. This is gangster rap. 
Yeah, it is. It is. We're damn good, too. But you can't be any geek off the street. Gotta be handy with the steel, if you know what I mean. Earn your keep. Regulators! Mount up. It was a clear black night, a clear white moon. Warmer G was on the streets, trying to consume some skirts for the E. So I could get some phones, rolling in my ride, chilling all alone. Just hit the east side of the LBC, on a mission trying to find Mr. Warren G. Seen a car full of girls, ain't no need to tweak. All of you search know what's up with 213. So I hooked a left on 21 and Lewis, some brothers shooting dice. So I said, let's do this. I jumped out the rock and said, what's up? Some brothers pulled some gats, so I said, I'm stuck. These girls peeping me, I'm gonna glide and swerve. These hookers looking so hard, they straight hit the curve. Want a bigger, better thing? It was so obvious to me. I don't know why I didn't think of this before. Like, this is your pick because the sample is Michael McDonald. There's no question. They took my Rolex. I looked at the brother, said, damn, what's next? They got my homie hemmed up and they all... Yeah, there's something about... When does Michael McDonald come in? Well, it's the it's the music. Oh. Michael, Michael McDonald's... Uh, oh. We don't get to hear his, his no, you soothing hear, voice. You don't hear his voice ever. I can't remember. During the chorus, do you get the I I can't forget or I keep no. forgetting whatever it is? Stop. Yep. Uh, tell us about Warren G and or gangster rap. We haven't had any gangster rap in there. So Warren G, is, isn't he Snoop Dogg's cousin or something? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. But like, yeah, gangster rap is is. Uh, you want to preserve there's, it? There's well, there's N.W.A. No, it's not that because I didn't pick any of that. I didn't pick Tupac. I didn't pick Snoop. There's good stuff. They use a lot of samples from P-Funk. From so there's a lot more of that kind of P-Funk stuff in the background. They actually called song, it G G Funk. G Funk, yeah. And uh, but this song, I love the smoothness of. Warren G's voice and Nate Dogg's singing voice, which a, which is a whole new thing. His like, and this song is really a story. It's uh, it doesn't have like, it doesn't have like the kind of aggressive and hatredness hatred of a lot of gangster rap. This is a very like. This very, is almost this is weirdly out of the same vein as like classic storytelling country music. Like yeah, like this mm. this weirdly has similar dna to like a john like yeah um folsom county blue uh folsom right. prison blues by johnny cash right it's just kind of a day in the life and i love the sample i love the hook the voices it's just a song i'll listen to every single time mm-hmm. it's orangey was smooth is smooth yeah he is cool there, they even referenced it right there. G Funk. It was that combination of gangster rap with a lot of George Clinton based samples, Parliament, Funkadelic, P Funk. And a little yacht rock thrown in there for And a little music. yacht rock. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All just the best for, things. Just for good measure. That's right. All right. Does that bring us to 95? That's 95. Hey, I've got a 95. Yeah. Do you, Jason? I have a 95. Uh, why don't you share yours? Okay. Uh, well, in one of the great ironies of life, Jordan went with the gangster rap track, and I'm going with um, the more of a Jordan pick. 
Uh, Jordan, mm. I got your back. Jordan, I got your Bjork right here. Nice. Oh, nice. Uh, we're going to go. I, my next pick is also a Bjork one. So Ooh, is it hyper ballad? It is. Wow. Oh, For real. Is this the but only you know song what? that we're going to have I was, I was going to play a clip from Army of Me. So let's just play a little bit of both. Do you want to fi- play the song first and then go clip? Well, no, just uh, just tell us about Bjork. Set, why, why set did you it pick up. her? Set it up. Uh, incredible voice. So she's got kind of an interesting history back through the 80s. She was in a band called the Sugar Cubes. She's from Iceland. Um, very, very artsy. She had some interesting moments of uh, kind of mild controversy during the, the 90s and became this, this interesting figure um, in some ways, maybe kind of Kurt Cobain-esque where she, she gained popularity and at a certain level, I think kind of loathed the popularity, but also like simultaneously loathed and loved it. Um, and she would use her platform to kind of make um, outrageous statements, try to make artistic statements and that type of thing. But all the while, she has this incredible ear for, um, I think, unique sound. She has this voice that is just awesome. Like it's this... Mm-hmm this big voice that's really versatile. Um, like if, did you ever listen to sugar cubes much? No, kind of a cool, I wouldn't call them full punk kind of proto punk. Um, pretty cool, uh, band. They've got some interesting stuff. Um, that was the band she was with that kind of put her on the music scene. And then she went solo and, um, yeah, she just did some cool stuff. So I was debating between either this song, Hyper Ballad, or um, Human Behavior. I think Human Behavior is a super super cool song. That was more of mm-hmm. like the MTV hit. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I went with Hyper Ballad ultimately. I think it's her mm-hmm. superior song. I think it's the thing to preserve if we're going to shoot. It's, it's just so good. It's amazing. Yeah. It's this slow crescendo. It's like got weird dance and techno elements somehow, mm-hmm. and it all just works. So yeah, I was I was debating between Hyper Ballad and Army of Me, both from the same album. Um, I also decided on Hyper Ballad, but I do want to play a segment of Army of Me. Um, it's just so out there, you know. It's like nothing else that was being made at the time. Because here we are, 1995. We're in the middle of like guitar rock has made its complete resurgence and nobody is doing electronic stuff anymore at least not very much i guess there's probably still some uh top 40 dance tunes but um it seems like she's she's taken all this cool stuff from the 80s and mixing it in in really new ways hmm. so let's let's just play this intro to army of me
Hmm. Just all kinds of really cool sounds. It's it's like she's taking, um, you know, some of that industrial stuff, Nine Inch Nails, Ministry, maybe. Yeah, like it does have some industrial sounds. elements. Like it's it's mm-hmm. got that kind of uh, darkness and angst that we mm-hmm. associate with with the '90s. Um, and uh, you know, if all the songs on the album were like this, then we'd probably put her in with those those type of bands. Um, but then the song after that is hyper ballad, and this one is just so joyous to me. Like it's she. This whole album is just full. It's like Beatles White Album, like so many different kinds of songs on it, but each one done really well. So here's here's hyper ballad. keeps building that is so good and her yeah her voice is so so amazing like she can do the um such dynamics you know like sometimes she's just whispering to you and then transitions to totally belting it out range of notes she can hit that's awesome the uh but gosh, if you pay attention to the lyrics, it's really horrifying stuff. Parts of it. <laughs> I, that's why I was a little bit surprised when you described this song as being a source of joy for you, um, because it, it lyrically it it does get a little bit dark. <laughs> yeah, it's like tortured but, lovers. Yeah, it's just like picturing yourself drop, jumping off a cliff, right? Yeah. But then uh, somehow I don't. I haven't like read all the lyrics, so I don't know how it's all tying together. I, I read through them all. It is it it is ambiguous enough that um, that I think it can be kind of joyous and distraught. It's a great song. Jordan, are you familiar with that song? You know, I'm not. That's uh, I. It's weird because I've heard the name of the song, so I thought I was gonna recognize it, and then I you played it, and I'm like, I've never heard this, and it's really nice. Yeah, she's a uh, she's a unique talent. I mean, on like I mentioned on this album, all kinds of stuff. Uh, 
what's the other there's another fairly big hit off off the album uh oh so quiet yeah yeah that's a good one yeah it's kind of like a, a, like a, a show back to the yeah i wonder if she is kind of kind of like queen in that way where there's like this operaticness to it and also the the variety of of types of music that, that they can do could be mm-hmm. that's interesting i like it um any i don't know anything else you want to add i think the music speaks for itself all right yeah for 96 uh i chose another female artist uh singer songwriter um this one is Ani DeFranco. Mm. She was uh, she was a big part of my life back in this time. I haven't listened to her as much recently, but I was I was listening to her a lot back then. Um, I'm guessing she was probably off the radar for for most people. I don't know that she had any songs on the radio or anything. Um, but she was, uh, al- along with that, that DIY punk kind of ethic we've talked about, she's very, very much a, a punk rocker, but more in the folk vein. Like she, mm-hmm. she plays acoustic guitar, um, but really amazing guitar. More Patti Smith than Johnny Rotten. Yeah. Um, and this is, so this is, the song is Dilate from her album Dilate. Uh, from 96 but this is her seventh album so she was going all through the, mm-hmm. the early 90s uh, but I think if you've never heard her before this w- would be a good one to start with um, I saw her live a couple times and she would you know kind of how when when Keith Moon would play live with the Who he'd have to get tape and tape his headphones around his head because he <laughs> played the drum so hard his headphones would go flying off otherwise uh, she would get like the the picks on her fingers like banjo players have uh but then she'd have to tape them on to each finger because she she played so hard um so let's uh let's check this out dilate by Ani defranco stuff um really talented guitar player songwriter great voice uh she she's one that her lyrics are very very upfront um like there's not a lot of you can tell right away what what she's talking about in most cases um so some some of the songs 
might feel a little too on the nose sometimes, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the time it's it's uh, quite uh, I don't know poignant or meaningful. Yeah. So she's one like I've always kind of gravitated, been attracted to to other people that are like similarly passionate about music and she's one that a lot of my music friends for all the way back into the 90s she's been important to and i've always known i needed to get into her stuff more and i've never spent the time to do it so even hearing that like i'm kind of disappointed in myself that i haven't spent more time with her um because that was that's really freaking good like that's right up my alley that's the kind of stuff i would i would like yeah yeah it's uh so with her i know my older sister rachel uh rachel that you used to hang out with brandon back in the mm-hmm. day she would listen to ani defranco a lot and you know i so i was familiar but i didn't really get into it that much but i i always knew that she was a great musician she had a very kind of like a command over the instrument and a very unique thing about her right but the mm-hmm. aesthetic of it just never appealed to me but i like respected it but just didn't necessarily like it but I remember she did an album with Maceo Parker, who's one of my favorite saxophone players ever. And like, she did some like collaboration with, I think James Taylor and Maceo Parker and maybe Prince or so. I, I, I don't know. It was, I never, I never checked it out, but I remember just seeing, seeming like I was averse to it. Like I didn't even want to listen to it, but I, there's probably not a good reason other than it was like, that's my older sister's music. And it was like the style well, was she, so in my face that I, yeah. I didn't quite, you know, it just, like, like I said, it, it's much more of the, the punk rock kind of attitude. Like, yeah, it's definitely angrier. I mean, you, you, you got a taste of it in, in that song, but, uh, right. There's, there's angrier ones. Oh yeah. Uh, so it's like, you know, if you associate Alanis Morissette with, with that kind of thing, like Ana DeFranco's kicking it up a notch. Right. Um, right. but she also has some really, uh, really mellow quiet stuff yeah. as well like it's it's the whole range that was her, nice. hers yeah, feels like hers feels like it has more of an artistic quality like it, it's one thing to just say like i'm gonna i'm gonna do angst i'm gonna do i mean emo is angst but it's not like people are lauding its art, artistic merits but that felt like it had you know even to compare it to alanis morissette um like a, a higher level of of art artistry yeah. to it yeah yeah, and I I never got the feeling that that hers was manufactured or trying to, you know, trying to fit some popularity. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh yeah, she was totally and, authentic. And she uh, started like her first album. She started her record label, so all of her albums are on her own record label. Yeah. Handled all the touring, all the sales, that's, that's cool. all that stuff. Yeah, a lot of respect for her individuality and. She had a pretty big following. I'm I'm kind of surprised that I haven't heard more about her since the '90s. Like, cause really talented, and you know, do you kind, know anything? Kind of the way about things that? go, though, huh? Yeah. Do you know if she's still been recording stuff in the 2000s? And uh, it's let's see, albums. We'll find out in the she next had one episode, in huh? 2017. Had one 2014, 2012. Yeah, she's been going the whole time. She's been going, huh? She probably plays at like festivals with kind of like jam bands and like kind of like folk jam. Google Google oh. says the related artists are Tori Amos is the yeah 
everyone. That's what I was thinking. Is toward, I always put those two together, kind of uh, unique, idiosyncratic, um, feminist, uh, in in a like a musical uh, kind of a assertive, which are all good things. Yeah. I just yeah. It it fits the uh, the Thelma and Louise time. Mm-hmm. All right. Good pick. Okay, Jason, you want to do your ninety six? Uh, yeah. Let's do it. Uh, this one, I don't even know what to say. Uh, super cool album, interesting album. It is a dude named DJ Shadow, and he put out kind of this seminal album, kind of his, his, um, I mean, he's done a ton of stuff since he still is active on the scene. Um, really well known in the, in the world of, DJing and producing and hip hop. Um, but he wasn't like a hip hop producer like DJ Premier was, where he was producing like, you know, really important mainstream hip hop tracks or or even like conscious hip hop tracks. He was more along the lines of like elevating um DJing to kind of an high art unto itself. And so he put out this album in ninety-six called Introducing. And it's it's pretty universally recognized like pitchfork enemy all have it pretty um, high on their, their lists of top 90s stuff. And it's really important because he put together this really emotive album. That's entirely made out of samples. It was one of the first albums to be made um, entirely from samples, kind of the way he pieced it together. And the, when my, favorite track i think on it is one called midnight in a perfect world and it's it's almost like trip hop trance hop but it's um it's just very emotive like it's pretty low-key pretty pretty chill and it it somehow communicates this cool story um you want to fire it up give it a listen insight foresight more sight the clock on the wall reads a quarter past midnight like elements of all this that existed before i mean brian Eno had been doing ambient music and electronica existed but um i think 
people like him and Radiohead and even Bjork to a certain extent started channeling some of these interesting, more like ambiguous and ambient elements into trying to create, like I said, a little bit higher art out of them. And so DJ Shadow with this album, he isn't trying to make a traditional hip hop album. He's just trying to make an album. And the whole thing really kind of flows in and out of of itself in this really cool connected way the whole album is fantastic i love it like i still listen to it now but this track in particular is is kind of this cool just little uh, musical trip that's all put together with with samples he was the one so on my um on my the, the deep track that i picked he was the one uh, partnered up with Cut Chemist on that, that we're doing the uh, the brain freeze and the product placement breaks. Like he can do very traditional hip hop, hip hop work, break beat stuff, but he can also, he's unique because of his ability to elevate the whole thing into, into its own kind of unique artistry, I guess. So any vocals on these songs are part of other songs that are being sampled? Yeah, 100%. The whole thing is samples. Hmm. It's really cool how he pieced it together. Like if you're a garage band nerd interested in layering and sampling, this is like this whole album's a masterclass. Well, and like this is '96, so yeah. Would computers even be used back? I guess he did the he did Pro the Tools whole existed, thing. But he it did, but he kind of famously did the whole thing on a on a lo-fi Akai sampler um, wow. that was available at the time, and and Impressive. that was part of what I think made it seminal because it was this kind of this this low-fi like almost the garage the the literal garage band version of of hip-hop like this would be comparable to grabbing a guitar and a and meeting your friend in the garage and recording an album kind of like what um um guided by voices was doing just this very do-it-yourself piece Mm -hmm. but still this would have to be i don't know crazy complicated to be able to do that with yeah. such limited technology yeah he's a he's a genius like for, for those that know or are familiar with this world dj shadow is is like a luminary in it and are have either of you jordan have you ever listened to that album much no i need to dive into that that was really nice and i don't i know cut chemist from like jurassic five but i don't and he he you played his stuff was it dj shadow and cut chemist together that you yeah, played that they're time? they're good friends they've done a ton of shows together they they work really well together and they've produced mm-hmm. stuff together but i think you would actually like the well i well both of you probably like this album but um i i think you it would it would i think you'd find it pretty interesting jordan yeah, I'll have to check that out. I, I enjoyed thoroughly that cut, so I'm going to check out DJ Shadow. Mm-hmm. For show. Okay, does this bring right. us to 97? This yeah. Actually, I've, I've got my 96 now. So, oh, you have a 96. Yeah, okay. I do have a 96. I was waiting for you guys. To try, I want you guys to catch up since I only got yeah. two left. So I've got a song. From, so this is number nine for you, right? <laughs> this is number eight for me. Oh, no, yes. This is number nine for me. <laughs> I thought it you were is. trying to chumbawamba me again. <laughs> I, wa- I was a little bit, but I was chumbawambaing you with your own... Uh, with, with the your reality own, of it. Your own reality. <laughs> the reality, yeah. Okay, so I, I, it was interesting to look at my first six picks as I was preparing for these the second half. None, they were all great songs. You know, I mentioned maybe I would have changed out the Temple of the Dong song, but none of the songs were on albums that I would have said, this is like 
one of the for sure the best albums of the 90s but three of the four i would say are for me top albums i have the, the nirvana unplugged is a top album for me uh you know i don't know the warren g albums so not that one but this next one is definitely a top 90s album for me top three i would say um it's from the album odelay by beck and the song actually is one that probably a lot of people don't know very well um it's track 13 and if you bought the album if you had the cd back then it was the un- it was the kind of hidden track so it was the last track and it came on and it was totally different from all the other songs it was stripped down it was acoustic it was melancholy it really felt like what you know came later in the early 2000s with uh, a lot of by, the kind by of, the way hidden tracks was such a classic 90s total, thing like it only it works on the medium of cd you couldn't really do yeah. it on a cassette tape no. you couldn't it doesn't make sense in like a, a streaming format yeah. but on cd's hidden tracks on cd's were kind of this very very classic why, why 90s couldn't you thing. do it on a cassette tape you could. You just run out of tape. You, you've got more space on a CD than you do on a cassette tape. Yeah, I mean, guess could, if you have one side of the tape that's a lot longer than the other, you could have a yeah. Back just, at the end. No one I just did don't know it, of like, anyone that did it. Yeah. yeah, they didn't think of it or something. But I still remember listening to this. This was another album that I played over and over again in the '90s. You know, like I mentioned in the first episode, a lot of the music I listened to, a lot of the albums were albums from the '70s. Um, but then there were a few albums from the nineties that I listened to over and over again. This is one of them. So, so I heard the, you know, the hidden track pretty early on and I loved it. And it became one of the, a really important song for me. It was, this was, I listened to this song, this album over and over again before I went and, and, and served the LDS Mormon mission in San Antonio. And this song, even before I went, felt like I had, I felt like I was seeing into the future of what I was going to be doing, which was riding a bike in really hot weather in dusty, you know, (laughs) small towns in Texas. And the song somehow fits that. And so um, anyway, a little bit more about Odelay before we listen to the song. Odelay is considered one of the best albums of the nineties by a lot of music critics. It was a last minute cut for me. I was super bummed that I cut this out because Beck's one of my all time favorites. I I have him on par with Bowie. No, this is like his uh, fifth studio album. What? Yeah. He had oh. a whole bunch. This was his second. Um, this was his first that was like hit big. And he had two more really good albums in the 90s after this. He had Mutations and he had Midnight Vultures. Um, but this is his fifth studio album. It had. I was going to put Where It's At on here. I love that song. That was the one that got played. I, over I, had, Jackass. I had Jackass. I had Jackass off this one. Great. Devil's Haircut, New Pollution. But the interesting thing about Odelay is the whole album was going to be more like this song called ramshackle it was going to be a subdued acoustic kind of uh album and then the and then he brought in he brought in new producers after he'd already recorded a whole bunch of these acoustic sounding songs he brought in the dust brothers who were coming from working with the beastie boys with young the the dust brothers famously did paul's boutique that we covered in the 80s yeah and it changed the whole tenor of the album and i'm glad it did and I'm so glad that this this song was one of the only ones that um, has ever been released um, from those initial acoustic ones. And he released it as the hidden track. So it's called Ramshackle. And Brandon, if you find the seven-minute version, not that we're going to listen to the whole thing, it's only like a four-minute song, maybe less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But at the very end, it's like there's a hidden thing at the end of the hidden track. 
Mm-hmm. And it's the weirdest sound. It's like sound Inception, man. A hidden track within a hidden track. Yeah. So if you find the seven-minute version, where we can, after we listen to some of it and talk about it, we can skip forward and hear the sound that would come in my room blasting full blast when I was like, <laughs> I thought the CD was over and it would loop over and over again. It was like, it's an annoying sound. It makes you actually run and like turn it off, you know, but um, <laughs> it's a little deep cut within a deep cut on one of the best albums from the 90s. All right, here we go. Ramshackle by Beck. Listen to the mixing of the drums doing this. It's very interesting. this one before yeah this is uh yeah very very different from everything on these earlier albums where yeah mostly he's playing around having lots of fun and like nonsense type lyrics right but there's still an element like that that woodblock in the drums is still like yeah like a classic back element of whimsy Uh or whatever Uh uh-huh he actually has some more acoustic mellow stuff on some of his earlier albums oh is there yeah not i don't i think this is the most kind of melancholic mm-hmm. um but then we know he has whole albums like this later on yes right. this paved the way a lot of the music i've listened to in the past 20 years has been more on the kind of lo-fi singer songwriter melancholic you know whether it's bonnie prince billy as i've mentioned or the microphones or you know um now now you got me wondering jordan is there is there something going on that we need to talk about why all the the melancholy of course it's it's not a secret this is this is my therapy i was gonna say if it's it's not obvious that we're all therapizing with music right at this point yeah, yeah. uh... yeah yeah this is my my therapy for sure this yeah. kind of music um but yeah, I've always liked mellow stuff. But uh, yeah, anyway. So there's about two minutes of silence at the end of that nice, peaceful song. And then all of a sudden... It's going to blow out my speakers. I know it. <laughs> okay, here Wait. it comes. <clears throat> Just over and over and over again. 
Just just a little treat for those that fell asleep while listening to it, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Courtesy of Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, if you were He's back then listening to, to the whole then, album. It happened to me several times. Yeah. yeah I, I come into my room from, like, the shower, and this is going, and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> this is going super loud, and I'm like, dang it. <laughs> uh, doesn't he do something like that at the end of uh, Midnight Vultures too? I, I seem to remember I, that that I Deborah has, so. yeah. has a few minutes of silence at the end, and he's yeah. a punk. He's just trying to mess he with is. us. Okay, ninety-seven. I have. I've got a ninety-seven. Me I'm too. guessing. I'm guessing Brandon and I have another one off a of common yeah. album. I, I guess there's a good chance of that, huh? Yep. It's the one if, Jordan if should have picked. That's right. <laughs> Tool? Is it We Are Tools? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, Computer. Yeah. yeah. Be- best album of the 90s? Of all time? No, not of all time. But uh, Yeah, it's a great album. So great 1997, album. yeah. Okay, Computer drops in May of 97. and But I, I'm glad that Jordan picked... Uh, an earlier song. What was it again? I picked Creep. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the one. Um, because now we get to see their Radiohead's range and their progression. That's right. And how much... Uh, Jordan yeah, Jordan just, picked I Want to Hold Your Hand and we're picking something. <laughs> we're picking a day in the life. That's right. Yeah, right. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, this uh, this album really put them on the map if they weren't weren't there before that made it made a big splash that that definitely in the eyes of doing. critics this is where they like officially became critically acclaimed and music snobs really started to elevate them yeah but it apparently sold really well too that's what jordan said yeah um, i i, I mean I don't, I don't know the, why jordan would lie so yeah. i haven't looked up the sales but i would i did read an article last week about it was the 25th anniversary of of the release of this album saying how, because they'd done so well on the bands and that sold a lot that, uh, is it EMI that no capital, um, capital records was confident in investing a lot in okay computer. So they rented out this big, uh, haunted mansion in England and, uh, recorded the album in there for a few months. And I don't know for those, I'm not, being a troll right now to you, Brandon, I don't know if we mentioned, so for those that aren't um, aware of who we're talking about, this is Radiohead. This is Radiohead OK Computer. Mm-hmm. This is right. correct. Right. Very, very important album, not just for this decade, but um, really for ushering in like the next wave of music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's been compared a lot to, to Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Um, and I, I can see that, that comparison, like this is very much a, a concept album, uh, where, you know, similar themes, uh, it was written while they were touring a lot. I guess they, they had this brutal tour of like four years, almost constantly just going all over the world, spending their lives on buses and they're not the most like outgoing blokes in the world. So it wasn't a big party for them. They're like <laughs> just hanging out in isolation on their bus most of the time. Um, but yeah, which uh, which song did you pick off it? 
Uh, so I picked, and I and I need to confess, like I, I don't want people to think that I've uh, I'm claiming to be this this diehard Radiohead fanboy from day one. I've I've had a really um, tumultuous relationship with them as well. I've I've confessed my relationship problems here. I think in part one of the '90s, um, Radiohead. I haven't had the the breakup and get back together like I do with Nirvana. I just I never gave him a chance. And so my friend Landon, who's kind of been my, um, my, my nineties mentor, um, he and I have had, we had probably over a year long, like maybe 12 years ago, like over a year long back and forth about Radiohead where we were each like arguing our position and Landon, Landon definitely won. He was right. I'm saying it on the record. I hope he doesn't listen to this. Um, but he he kind of helped me re recalibrate myself in in relation to Radiohead, and so I'm. This is I, I fully acknowledge the importance and the greatness of this album. I picked um, Paranoid Android off it, kind of the nice. the, yeah. the the I think what many would consider the really signature track off the album. Yep, same. Is that what you picked? Can I? Yep. Can I say, before we play it, can I read something I found interesting about the influence for this record from Tom York? Do it. He says, uh, the starting point for the record was, and then here's the quote, the incredibly dense and terrifying sound of Bitches Brew. Hmm. Um, And then he described further, he, this is what he felt about Bitches Brew. He said, it was building something up and watching it fall apart. That's the beauty of it. It was at the core of what we were trying to do with OK Computer. Uh, And then he identified um, a song by Elvis Costello, by R.E.M., by P.J. Harvey, by, and then A Day in the Life by the Beatles as all being influential on the songwriting. And so, and him and Johnny Greenwood, um, yeah, talking about trying to kind of recreate brilliant le- records that they love, but, and missing. And that was kind of, they wanted something shocking uh, at first, but then that you could kind of fall into and, yeah. get with so yeah they're they're definitely aiming high on this album yeah. conceptually and musically and really taking it to the next level in their their songwriting and just the the intricacies of all these instruments and yeah paranoid android is a great example it's incredible there's like four parts it's we're, we're it's gonna have to do a like complete album dissection of, of this thing yeah for for another episode because because there's a lot of great songs on this album. Yeah. Karma Police, No Surprises. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good ones. This, this song is weirdly comparable, I think, to A Day in the Life. It's it's so, like, compositional. There's, I think, four distinct parts. It kind of mm-hmm. builds up, crescendos through. Like, there, it's almost like four separate um, uh, songs built into one. It's It's brilliant. Yeah. yourselves a favor and listen to this on headphones because the the mix on this is amazing
already it's definitely appealing to the uh, musician's musician. Yeah. Just with the the chord structures they're using, it's it's not typical kind of stuff. It's it's pretty complicated thing. Yeah, like the if, thing I always If you're always trying to learn how to play this song, it's uh, you got to look it up. Like yeah. you can't just listen to it. <laughs> what are you gonna say? I'll wait till it's done. All right. Um, so then coming up here, we got the the transition to uh, part two, I guess, which always gives me a thrill when this comes in. Oh, and they got the computer voice in here too. That's you're going to hear a little more of in track uh, track seven, fitter happier. Yeah. yeah. It's further back in the mix, but the percussion is so great in this song. Greenwood, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Bring it up. Okay. taken a lot of the complicated prog stuff that bands like Pink Floyd and Yes and those types of guys were doing as far as song structure but combined with that kind of more punk slash grunge emotion like this doesn't have the uh, I don't know kind of overthought cheesiness of some of those other things <laughs> you know it still feels like a just a ripping rock song at least the middle and then and then the but the not just it's a really, really well composed too. like the composition yeah. of it's insane yeah and every part of the song it's got things that build on top of each other the harmonies and then later on in this part when the counterpoint melody comes in so great mm.
pretty cool, but it'd be awesome if like the guitar would come back in again. That would really do it for me. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Wasn't planning on playing the whole thing, but how do you, how do you stop it? You couldn't you know? make it stop. Yeah, you so, can't. So my whole thing early on, part of my aversion was I hated um Tom York's voice. It felt so whiny to me. Mm-hmm. Um and it it took like a long time for me to I think understand a little bit better the kind of the aesthetic of it. Uh, and it, yeah. and it, it it works. Is, it is a, it is a whiny voice. Mhm. Yeah. I find that there's oftentimes bands that at first I don't like oftentimes because of the aesthetic of the vocalist. And sometimes it's just a matter of hearing it more that it doesn't bother me anymore. And then I can hear it and differently and appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'd say is keep trying, keep trying, take into account like all the ingredients of it. They're a, they're a really yeah. important group and they were, um, there's kind of this weird thing that happens. I'm sure we'll get into it in the two thousands, like where it, it feels like, music really transitions almost like uh, rock bands start to disappear a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think these guys serve as kind of this really unique um, kind of marker on the, the roadmap of rock music where they were, yeah. they're almost in a way like one of the, the last really kind of just monster rock groups before mm-hmm. it transitioned into something else. And they kind of, interestingly enough, helped propel the transition. Yeah, I think. They were, they were main instigators in that. I mean, yeah. going from, this was their last like guitar rock album mm-hmm. and you hear them bringing in the, the synthesizers and computer stuff into this one, but then they go full that direction with, yeah. with kid a yeah. well, think how big Pearl jam was at the beginning of the nineties and, and how Radiohead became so much bigger and more credible and more just, you know, putting out better music over the years. Pearl Jam just, I think, in the last month released a new album that it's like they're they're just starting to kind of experiment with electronic stuff and drum machines. And it's kind of like Radiohead was definitely not, you know, wanting to stick around to just we're going to just, you know, dig our heels into this grunge thing. They've been listening to a lot of Bjork. They must have, you know. Yeah, and they were they they were interested in, in but they were unique stretching. too. Like sometimes it feels like a gimmick when bands try that, and they preserve their musicianship yeah. through it all. Like it's the composition, it's the musicianship, it's everything. Like they right. they were able to uniquely preserve that. I think through that yeah. experimentation, and like to the point that I don't even know if you can call it experimentation. They're just making art using different ingredients, right? it was coherent. It wasn't just like, let's, let's try electronic instruments. Now let's just do this. It was, it felt like them. Yeah. They're well, we're, yeah, we're going to have to have a, 
an episode, probably an episode about this album and maybe another one about Radiohead in general. Cause there's, yeah. there's so much to talk about with them. I mean, with I think we could Kid A, do, with in rainbows, with Johnny Greenwood's soundtracks, we could just do a Radiohead at one. I'm sure yeah. get, a, get some person who's super knowledgeable of, about Radiohead or maybe not my, uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll talk. <laughs> okay, <laughs> oh, we could get uh, Landon in, right? Yeah. Landon would be good. He would, he's, he's an expert. Let's okay. do it. Sweet. Okay, 98. Uh, I have no 98. I've got 198. Do you have any 98? I do. I do, yeah. Uh, how many do you have left? Three. Okay, let's have you go, because I've only got one left. <laughs> That's your last one? Yeah. All right. I, I got three left as well. I had a 98, and I trimmed it about two minutes ago. Okay, this is, this is one that I'm late in the game coming to. I didn't listen to it at all when it came out um but it uh it got so much praise in the from critics that uh i checked it out later uh this is lauren hill from the miseducation of lauren hill nice um which uh similar similar to okay computer in a way but very different sound but uh also concept album mm-hmm. um and a ton of stuff going on here where i think she's uh you know i'm not familiar with i i know she was in the fugees before this do they only have one album no they have no, they two have, at least yeah two or three okay. i um, mine, mine's from uh this album as well brandon but i think mine's oh. probably a different track than yours i i don't like, know who's to say who's um to say? i yeah i had a hard time choosing the songs because there's so many so many good ones on there's here a lot of good ones uh so really you just need to listen to the whole album and they I love how they go, the songs go into each other with like, what, what's the discussion going on? It feels like some high school teacher or something. Like these There's, class discussions about love and relationships. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where that comes from, but yeah, it's, it's really great. Those little interludes are really fun. Yeah. Um, from what I can tell, a lot of the album, like her, her son was born was it while she was recording it or right before she, she wrote most of the songs while she was pregnant and she, she attributes being pregnant with freeing her from a writer's block and that she had a rush of creativity mm. and motivation and ability to connect with emotions and just to write everything that happened to her while she was pregnant. She was able to write a song about mm-hmm. supposedly she wrote like 30, 30 songs, you know, um, during this period. And then the album came from that. Yeah. And yeah, you can tell that she was uh, just thinking a ton and really reaching down and and doing some serious introspection in the 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 lyrics and yeah, just the songs are really great on this. I chose to Zion" featuring nice. Carlos Santana. Nice. Uh, so, I'll, what what song did you choose, George? I chose "Nothing Even Matters" because well, I love the song. Like mm-hmm. you said, there's so many but partially because it has D'Angelo on it. And D'Angelo was one of my, uh, he was on my honor mention for his album, Brown Sugar, for some of the songs on there. So Mm -hmm. I love the song. It's a duet. It's a duet. Plus we haven't had a lot of Mm -hmm. duets, you know, eighties was kind of the duet era. We, we, I, I dropped the ball and adding a, you know, a nice duet, but you've got Lauryn Hill and D'Angelo doing a really lovely. Yeah. Even matters. Well, good. We get to hear them both. So, Here's here's to Zion, first of all. Zion. 
unsure what the balance held. I touched my belly overwhelmed by what I had been chosen to perform. But then an angel came one day, told me to kneel down and pray. For unto me a man child would be born. Oh, this crazy circumstance. I knew his life deserved a chance, but everybody told me to be smart. Look at your career, they said. Lauren, baby, use your head. But instead, I chose to use my heart. Now the joy of my world is inside. This uh, this doesn't feel dated at all to me. Like mm-hmm. it could this could come out any time. Yeah, she's yeah. really timeless with her sound of her voice and just musically what what she made. This album's incredible. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And uh, you can probably tell that I I like the as far as hip hop and R and B stuff. I tend to like the ones that have more musical elements to it. And mm-hmm. occasional sing like I liked that uh, that Warren G one that Jordan shared because it has some because of the Nate Dog you like the Nate Dog I do I like <laughs> I like it when they they sing sometimes so I really like this about her her yeah. her voice and she can she can do it all too like she raps in some of them but then also with that uh, that classical guitar it just sounds so good on this yeah she's yeah. got an interesting the- transition like. The, the gospel singers in the back. Oh, so good. If you, if you listen to the first Fuji's album, it's very much uh-huh. a traditional hip-hop album. And then the second Fuji's album, she was kind of unleashed a little bit more, and it started to feel a little bit more like a Lauryn Hill album, and it was becoming more like musical as far as elements of singing. And then this solo album is just became... like a, It elevated her to a whole different level of like i think complete musician she's a really interesting like what if story because she voluntarily kind of checked out of the spotlight shortly after this and like yeah like uh, on google play discography this is it yeah and then some some live stuff and some compilations looks like she's got an mtv unplugged and yes she does she does She's kind of famously everyone was waiting for the next album and waiting and waiting and waiting and similar to actually weirdly similar to D'Angelo in that regard yes, like yes. put out this incredible album and then just and then everyone's waiting disappear and, right do we so, know why has she talked she, about that she's kind of a perfectionist she's also um, stuff I've read is she's kind of I don't know if conspiracy theorist but almost like paranoid and she's like, paranoid that's very true. much against like commercial i think her own popularity was like it was too much for her and freaked her out and she just wanted to focus on like raising her kids she i remember I, she married to one of uh to marley's son is that right yeah she was she's not anymore but they were together for i think they have five kids together or something um 
but I've got a quote from her, which I love. It, it's about her, this album. And she said, uh, so leading up to the release, she said, the miseducation of Lauren Hill um, with that, she said she wanted to write songs or I wanted to write songs that lyrically move me and have the integrity of reggae, the knock of hip hop and the instrumentation of classic soul, which is what, what she is claiming that she was um, trying to do. And she nailed it. She nailed it. And another tidbit from this is she was recording some of this in, uh, she was living in New Jersey, writing stuff there, recording it in New York, but there was a lot of people trying to kind of influence where, what it should be and where it should go. And so she recorded, she left and went to Jamaica and recorded it mostly at uh, Tough Gong Records, which was the Marley's studio down there. So she recorded most of it in Jamaica. The, the record label wanted to send other producers in. They, they wanted to send in RZA from Wu-Tang and some others. And she's like, no, I want to, you know, she wanted to produce it. And so she's very, you know, individualistic that way, wanted to do her own thing. And Yeah, I, think- I, always, I always took it right after this album. It felt like she really wanted to be an artist and the record label really wanted her to be like a star. A, a star, yep, yep, mm-hmm. totally. I, I think that that situation is hard for any musician, but probably especially for women, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause it's so much a, a man's world and we we're still hearing about Hugh this James Brown. all the time. <laughs> yeah. Play, uh, play, Jordan, play Jordan's track now off of that. Okay. Nothing even matters. And this one, she actually, you mentioned Jason that she had on the Fuji's album, she had done that. They had done that cover of the Roberta Flack song, the killing me softly. Mm-hmm. So she actually, I was studying up on this album and she was saying with this one, she was trying to recreate the feel of a Roberta Flack, Donny Hathaway song. And so she got D'Angelo um, to, to join her and they did this song. Nothing even matters from the same album, one of the great albums of the decade. I like it when it, this happens, when a couple people 
when we do this and two people pick different songs from the same album that always yeah. feels like an important reference point yeah. um and then the other thing that is just uh, this reminded me of i think some people's voice is uniquely um uniquely designed to make great harmony with itself like dolly parton could yeah. do those self-harmony and lauren hills when she does harmony with her own voice is this like, all her harmonies no it's incredible it's d'angelo and her well yeah but all the but the female, the female harmony is her. Her. her oh yes 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 and that's like kind of a, a typical like, Lauren wow, Hill she thing. Can, she can make herself sound a lot like D'Angelo. That is impressive. <laughs> <laughs> that's her genius. <laughs> you should hear her do a very white impression. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Spot on. <laughs> but like there are so many layers of harmony going on this. It's a... Uh, yeah, it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Good pick, Jordan. I'm glad you chose yeah. that one. Yeah, and the uh, we got to say the her cover of can't take my eyes off you on this album wow mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you've got even the big hit do uh do what's doo-wop. it called do is a great song so good mm-hmm. yep everything is everything it's a great it's to me it's a top top three uh or top five but i'd say top three for for me in terms of 90s albums so you got Odelay, you got Miseducation of Lauren Hill. What's what's the uh, third? Well, Tub, I got a, Tub Thumping by Chumbawanda. Uh, no, so I'd have to go. I have to stretch it to five because I do. I would put OK Computer. I want no. Five. I want to hear the top three, Jord. Okay, keep top saying three. top three. Hold up, hold up, top hold up, hold up, hold up. Nirvana. Unplugged, we got to save this for the end. Huh? Beck, Odelay, Lauren Hill. Oh, okay. Miseducation. You think Lauren the Miseducation of Lauren Hill is a better '90s album than OK Computer? I. I think he's, partially he's because it's personally. her only album. I think it's partially because it's her only one, and it's so good. But I, I, I can see Jordan listen yeah. to this more than OK Computer. Yes, and I, like and I really, often. I really love OK Computer, but I love this one more. <sighs> mm-hmm. It's true. You're one to talk, Jason. You don't even that's, like Radiohead. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I could, I've been the most honest person here. I confess that I was wrong. I told you that I've come around. I'm well, in a I'm better not, spot. I'm not telling you that it's not a great album. I'm saying I want to. I want it to be on the Mount Rushmore of '90s albums too. If I have to choose three, though, it's those three. Fair enough. Mm. Well, that's that's high praise. But wait until we get to you know the awards and and. We'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll see. Oh, I'm we'll I'm excited for that. All right. Okay. So is that it for '98? That's it for '98, and and I'm you just going to be. Yeah. No, my, my next is a '90. I I have three '99s. Holy moly! And I've got I've got two. <clears throat> so you go you go ahead. So Jordan, are you done? I'm done. I'm say, shocked. I'm yeah. shocked that you don't have one of my 99s because I know it's well, from one of your favorite it, albums of all time. Is If it's D'Angelo's album, I'm putting that at 2000. It's not. It's not D'Angelo. Okay. All right. So I'll go uh, 1999, Jordan, Bonnie it's Prince, it. Billy. That's great. But I, isn't I, I See so a Darkness, good. isn't I See a Darkness one of your favorite albums? It's, it, it is. It is. But I like, I had to, I mean, it's so hard to cut, but I cut. I'm putting him in the 2000s because the stuff I, I love of yeah. him even more is in is in the 2003 album. So, by the way, did you see that he hinted a, a release pending release of um, oh, what's the name of it? It's that collaboration, that rock collaboration he did with Matt Sweeney. Yes, 
Yeah, they they released a a song from. Yeah, they've got an album. They've got an album coming out. He's trying to restrain himself (laughs) and not have Bonnie Prince in uh, you know a song from every album. That's yeah, right. I got you. That's right. I, I did the same thing with Neil Young. I mean, I yeah. didn't, I didn't put Rockin' in the Free World in the '80s, and it really killed me to not put Harvest well, Moon in the. Well, 90s. good news, Jordan. I got your back. You I've got, got my a, back, man. Yeah, I've got a track off of "I See a Darkness." Nice. Um, this will be fun. A fun uh, personality test. What song would you guess that I picked off that? Um, I'm gonna guess. Uh, Death to everyone? No, I'm gonna guess. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna guess minor place. Dude, you set. nailed it. That's nice. that's the song that I picked. It's my favorite song off that album. It's almost like it. It almost plays like a hymn. So Jordan's talk. Yeah, yeah. If you listen to our our first quarantines episode, you heard Jordan talk about um, Bonnie Prince Billy. He's much more. Um, Jordan's much more uh, versed in in him than than I am. Um, I like him. I, I really enjoy him. My friend Landon actually is the one that introduced me to him as well about a decade ago. And this album became really important to me. It's a, just a great, a great listen. Um, the song I picked off of I See a Darkness is Minor Place, which is this really cool, like melancholy hymn that somehow captures this. It captures this. I don't know even how to describe it. Like lyrically, I love it. Musically, I love it. Um, Fired up. All right. Yeah. Let's listen to Let's it. Hear it. Love this song. It's been one week. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you. Oops, sorry. You, you sorry. bastard. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best virtual joke I've ever heard. I didn't even know this was a genre. That's joke. worse. That's worse than getting rickrolled. I freaking <laughs> yeah. got. <laughs> bare naked ladies. You get what bare naked ladied. Oh my gosh! Bare naked laid in a bat in a, the worst way possible. Wow. <laughs> okay. Now that we've set the right mood here. <laughs> can, can you go from that to, to a minor place? Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. We've got to do like a full cleanse now. You can. Unbelievable. Well, I've been to a minor place. And I can say I like its face If I am gone and with no trace I will be in my minor place Well, I put the shoes in line Separate the women mind As we do what we do find so victorious, so benign. Well, I've been to a minor place, and I can say I like its face. If I am gone and with no trace, I will be in my minor place. So I love the harmony of his voice i love how it mixes with that piano i love i always mm-hmm. like high register piano stuff it's just it's cool the whole thing yeah. comes together like i said it's just it's almost like this interesting hymn to melancholy yeah yeah this and the title track from this album became kind of famous uh johnny did it 
and yes. his, on one of his with Rick Rubin. And Bonnie Prince Billy, his actual name is Will Oldham. Will Oldham sings uh, backups on that version with Johnny Cash. Oh, that's cool. So it says this is Will Oldham's sixth album, but yes. his first as Bonnie Prince Billy. That's right. So after this uh, this album in 99, almost every album of his has been released as uh, Bonnie Prince Billy. There's been a few. He's released a few under like his just his name, Will Oldham. He's done a couple like that. But before this one, he was Palace Brothers, Palace Music, Palace Songs. Kind of just, uh, I think, who trying, are you trying saying? Trying out different names. Yeah. <laughs> who are you saying else did He doesn't that? want to get stuck with something like Chumbawamba and then have exactly. to. Exactly. Yes. But he's kind of a songwriter's songwriter, you know, kind of. Um, he, he's, he's definitely an acquired taste in some ways. People, people either love him or they don't know him. That's mm-hmm. one way to put it. Or they just hear it and like, okay, I know who he is. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know anybody that spent time with him that doesn't like him or at, or at a minimum respect him. But the yeah. the majority, I think the the average person is is probably just not that familiar with him. He's right. not like he's ever had a radio hit. Never even anything close. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll I'll go next since you did the Bonnie Prince. Okay. Um, the these last two are are from two of my favorite albums from the nineties. Uh. Seems like the '90s, at least as far as the the albums that stand out to me, um, kind of turned into the decade of the concept album again. Like mm. there's a lot of that in the late '60s and and '70s, and then uh, so this this one's another. I don't know if the whole thing's a concept album, but it does kind of feel like that. This is the Flaming Lips. The album mm-hmm. is the Soft Bulletin. I'm glad you picked um, this. These guys had been around for a while and started late. Um, I know they, they only had one. Well, they might've had, had some hits off the, the album after this. Were there any Yoshimi songs that got airplay? Uh, maybe the, no, I mean the title track a little bit, but I don't yeah, think but much for, for the most part, it seems like, uh, the only song anybody heard was their Vaseline song from the mid mid nineties. Um, I believe which, which is like the least representative song of who they actually are. Yeah, well, I mean it it does show their their playfulness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if, that, if that's all you knew of them, you would be surprised by by this album. Uh, so this one. I uh I wasn't I wasn't even paying attention to the Flaming Lips at the time, but after the album came out, then some friends mentioned it to me and I, I checked it out. I think they came, they performed a show in Salt Lake on on tour for this album, and a friend asked me if I wanted to go and I was like, Flaming Lips? Uh those guys from that Vaseline <laughs> song? Nah, that's okay. Um and then I listened to this album after that and I'm like, Oh crap. This album's I, incredible. i I'm this was the one I was Disappointed in myself for dreaming as well. This one's freaking awesome.
It's so good. Yeah. How about that? That's a great pick. I had Race for the Prize off the... This is the soft bulletin, right? Yeah. I had Race for the Prize, which is a little probably more radio-friendly than this. Right. Um, but yeah, that's I love, one that I'm surprised didn't get a lot of radio play, because that could have yeah, been really popular. Yeah, I agree. So I actually like the soft bulletin better than I like OK Computer, like if you're comparing kind of epic, epic albums from interesting groups from this decade. I uh-huh. love this is an album I still listen to like all the time. I love it. I was bummed I didn't I didn't include this. Well, I, I like that they seem to have the uh, the same amount of ambition and innovativeness as Radiohead was doing, uh, but they also like throughout their career kind of refused the uh, that kind of overall pessimistic attitude that so many of the at least independent or alternative bands of the time were were uh, embracing yeah um, the, they, you know, they never you never get that woe is me kind of feeling yeah. or um the world's terrible that kind of stuff that that seemed so pervasive in a lot of the bands yeah they kept an element of fun but they were also like very very innovative and ambitious um and they just kind of like they always felt like they were going to play by their own rules. Like they didn't really care. They weren't worried about airplay. They weren't worried about MTV hits. They weren't worried about anything other than just making the stuff that was interesting to them. Yeah. Have you guys, what? I've talked to friends who have gone to uh, flaming lips concerts, like in the heyday I've never been, but supposedly it's like, you know, they were kind of ahead of the curve in terms of the audience participation type yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I my friends that went to this one said that they they handed out headsets like radio radio frequency headsets hmm. to like the first hundred people that came, and there would be things playing along on those like in coordination with the songs. Wow. Okay. Um, what do you got, Jason? Okay. Oh man. This will be. This one might come out of left field for you guys. I'm going back to Iceland, uh, not for mm. Bjork. Mm. Uh, Ninety nine. Going to go with uh, Sigaras. Yeah, Sigaras, and I'm going to mispronounce everything associated with this. Uh, but they had this really fascinating album in '99, Sigaras. Uh, this kind of ambient rock Icelandic band. Really interesting. Make kind of and it's like. It's big. They make big songs, but they're also ambient in in nature a little bit. They have this album called a, a Jadis Birgin, something like that. Mm-hmm. And yep, that's that's how you pronounce it. Sweet. <laughs> yes. You got it. Yeah, nailed it. Nice. There's a, a song on that uh, called Svefin G. Anglar, I think. <laughs> and Sounds good. It, it sounds like... It, you're familiar with this album, right, Jordan? Yeah, I mean, I don't remember the name of it, but it's, I think it's, the it's album super I'm trippy. The cover is blue with this like hand-drawn alien baby in embryo mm-hmm. on the front. It's it's a yeah. really interesting experience from album cover to song. But the this song in particular, this is another one my friend Landon um, kind of put me on to as we were 
debating back and forth about a decade ago. And um, this one has stayed in my rotation. It's, it's incredible. It's this, it's, it feels like it could be from a movie. It's the, it's um, anyway, just big, big anthemic and, and kind of uh, captures a lot of really unique ingredients. You want to fire it up. When the song starts, Jason. <laughs> oh. This guy, this guy Cold right hearted. here. Sigur Rose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, male vocalist singing in that high falsetto register. It's sl- almost slow motion, but it feels like it's every note is haunting. important. It's- yeah. It, it Haunting is the right word. It, Very nice. it just sticks with you. The first time I heard it, it just stuck with me. I'm not hearing kept- you anymore, Jason. Can you hear me now? Are you there, Jason? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you guys. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me at all? Now I, now we can hear yeah. you. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, I could hear you the whole time. Um, so Jordan used the word haunting. Um, that's how I would describe it. This this track just seems to stick with you. Every note feels important, feels deliberate, and it all works to give this really strong, like 
it's mood music. It's, inter- mm-hmm. it's really interesting. I love it. Yeah. I was feeling it. I was feeling it. And then Brandon had to insert his sarcasm. What <laughs> are you talking about? <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> that sarcasm is going to be edited out of the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, no we, need, we need to preserve the snark. <laughs> yeah, we, we need some. We need some of this. We need some of the tension. We need some of this in there. This is oh, actually probably like ideal quarantine music. This I love this song. Yeah, this, this one is, nice. is like such good chill out music. Anyway, I don't really have anything more to add. They're they're it's an interesting uh, an interesting band. Well, you can check out. It's interesting that you like them a lot because whenever I think of Sigur Ross, the people I know that love Sigur Ross, and I like them a lot. I have it. I could have done a lot more, spent a lot more time, and maybe I will, but it's usually my friends or family members who are the most into Radiohead love Sigur Ross. So Yeah, I think... And also the ones that are most into crying. <laughs> sad, uh, I think Sad Batman listens to Sigur Ross. Um, next episode. <laughs> <laughs> he's just sitting on his bed <laughs> with earbuds in his, in his bat wing ears. Um, I think part of the reason is I wasn't exposed to them. Like I didn't even know they existed until the 2000s. So I didn't have like this history of combative relationship with them. Like I did Radiohead. Um, Mm -hmm. I think if I would, if I would never have heard of Radiohead until like 2004, I would have been all in from the beginning. Um, I like that you could own your bias and your blind spots, man. Well, I, I uh, do a whole episode on where Brandon and I will point out your some more that you can't see. Yeah, I, I probably <laughs> need it. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that, uh, that um, I'm a, a highly flawed, problematic individual. <laughs> um, you don't need an episode. Just, you don't I can't need an help myself. On it. <laughs> yeah, my my life is the episode dedicated to it. But. Yeah. Right. Anyway, I like oh, that boy. song. It's worth Good preserving. Trick. If we're going to shoot something like epic anthemic up into space, I've, yeah. I oh, think yeah. that's a, a heck of a song to preserve. It's transcendent yeah. music. It, I think the aliens would appreciate that. Uh, it's timeless. It's beautiful. Good pick. I'm glad that you picked yeah. it. And speaking of transcendent music, uh, that also perfectly describes my final pick. It was 1999. Day? Uh, close. This is this guy's already been mentioned a few times. This is another one from Beck, mm. Midnight Vultures. Nice. Uh, so many songs on this album that I could choose. I really want to play Deborah because that song is so much fun. Mm, it is, and so great with his vocals, also in that really high register. Um, but we we haven't had a lot of dance songs in mm-hmm. on this list in the '90s yet. We we had uh, Jordan's Seven Peaks, uh, Seven Peaks reference <laughs> with uh, Lenny Kravitz. Kravitz. Yep. Uh, so this one, when you, uh, yeah, he he just does uh, such a great groove on this thing. Mixed business by by Beck. <laughs> Together, making all the people scream. 
great song. Did he did he sample or my ears deceiving me? Did he either sample or generously borrow the guitar hook from uh, Love Shack by the B-52s? I I hadn't thought that before. I'm gonna check. This is my favorite album of his. Um, there's a lot to like on on all his albums, uh, but as far as like just straight listenability, mm-hmm. uh, this song's got so many good things on it. It's it's probably the uh, the funkiest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has that sure. that kind of '70s vibe to it. Good, so good that's, pick. that's my closeout to the '90s. What do you got, hey, Jason? I got one more and. Here's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to tell you what it is, but then you're not playing it because I'm going to pull a, a reversal on it. I, I'm going to use this spot to write a, a really significant wrong that mm. stems from this decade. So um, my choice is uh, most deaf mathematics from the black on both sides album. Oh, that's but, a great album. But you're, you're not going to play it. Um, that's a DJ premier beat. I'm, I'm sacrificing that spot to uh, try to right a wrong. And the wrong that needs to be righted is that streaming music has uh, forgotten about one of the most important hip-hop bands of this this decade and of all time, um, a band called De La Soul. Mm-hmm. For kids that are growing up listening to music right now, they, they get most of their music from streaming services. And De La Soul's in this ongoing battle with their record label, Tommy boy, Tommy boy. Yeah. Yeah. And Tommy boy's taking like 70% of their, (laughs) of their proceeds. And then an additional 20% for some samples that they never got cleared. So De La Soul's not making any money from streaming. So they're locked in this thing. So you can't find any De La Soul, any of their first five albums on any streaming service right now. And great, great albums. Yeah. Like they're on the the Mount Rushmore of hip hop. And so mm-hmm. it's a tragedy that kids that are coming up listening to music right now don't have access to that unless they're listening to like an original CD or cassette tape or something mm-hmm. or LP. And so they've got to be preserved. You'll probably have to find the track off YouTube. So the original track I was going to pick was their self-titled Stakes is High from 96. Oh, um, it. It's a love little it. bit of a downer and i agree with brandon we need some more dance music so i'm i'm pivoting i'm pivoting off my pivot mm-hmm. and uh we're gonna go a roller skating jam called saturdays from 91 mm-hmm. it's off the de la soul is dead album it's mm-hmm. a kind of a fun dance track and i want their voice immortalized i want kids that are trying to get into music and hip-hop to know who these guys are look up mm-hmm. look them up read about them and figure out how to listen to them. You can't get them streaming, but but figure out how to get your hands on on De La Soul because it'll be a tragedy if these guys get lost to a streaming battle because they're it would be like like these guys are like the level of like Led Zeppelin in the world of rock. Like if suddenly mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. music was unavailable on streaming services and a whole generation of kids couldn't listen to them, that in my opinion, it's like that level of of tragedy that, yeah. that De La is is absent. So I'm giving most deaf spot to De La Soul so that they can be preserved. That Absolutely. that can be righted. You'll probably need to find the track on YouTube. I got it. Um, a roller, roller skating jam called Saturdays. Some nice yeah. De La, um, kind of fun party hip hop. Yo, they said you're trying to get money in the 
Thursday night. Boy was high, girl fly like pipe. They hold hands until next day. Boy then let's go hit his way. Boy rolls blunt rat to his boy. Girl wrecking brings bad boy joy. Boy thinks of that big fat pack. Big black fat, nothing black fat. Girl calls boy to stand him up on Saturday. Saturday. this one has a uh, female vocalist comes on in a minute between uh, verses kind of singing the chorus it's just it's a fun song it's a cool song and this is classic like there you go So Dela, Dela was kind of unique because they had this side of them that was really fun loving, but then they were also kind of like elder statesmen of hip hop that tried to take this conscious, responsible approach and share like productive, positive messages. And so it's it bums me out that they're in the middle of this because it's been going on for like over a decade. They haven't been available on streaming. Yeah. We should mention too the first uh, vocalist on the song was actually Q-Tip from yes. Tribe Called Quest. So they, they were very, they were part of the same collective, the Native Tongues Collective. Yep. So yeah, I'm playing this from the the music video. Yeah. So check that out. It's it's a fun video. All in this roller skating rink and parks, and <laughs> it's pretty cool. I gotta say, um, that's a great song. I would, I would like to lobby for us to hear just thirty seconds of, of "Stakes Is High" by them as well, off their '96. You're, you're the one that you were gonna say that you yeah, said the a first little bit of a downer. It's such a good. I think it's one of the best '90s hip hop. It, it's incredible, and this song's significant because this is one. So there's a famous hip hop producer that's passed away named uh, Jay Dilla. Jay Dilla, and he did production on "Stakes Is High," and it's, it's it's really well known for that. And it kind of blew him up, sent him into the kind of the top tier of hip hop production. He famously became this guy that everybody kind of sought after to make beats Rap for in the nineties. It's creative. It's candid. It's controversial. <laughs> What's but this? How much does the music is this part of the song? Life and mm-hmm. how much does real life? Yeah, this is it. Yeah, this Today is on it. The show we have rappers. De La soul to discuss the many ways. Keep it real. <laughs> <laughs> Focal point bringing damage to your borough. Uh-huh. Be some brothers from the east with the beats that be thorough. Got the solar gravitation, so I'm bound to pull it. I get down like brothers are found, ducking from bullets. Uh-huh. Gun control means using both hands in my land. Yeah. Where it's all about the cautious living. Uh-huh. Migrating to a higher form of consequence. Compliments uh-huh. are struggling. That shouldn't be notable. Man, every word I say should be a hip hop quote. I'm sick of bitches shaking asses. I'm sick of talking about blood. Sick of Versace glasses. Sick of slang. Sick of half ass award shows. Sick of name. Brand clothes, sick of R&B bitches over bullshit tracks, cocaine and cracks, which bring sickness to black, sick of 
swole head rappers with they sickening raps, claps and gaps, making the whole sick world collapse. The facts are getting sick and even sicker, perhaps. So this was this was kind wow. of their state of the union. This was gangster rap had blown up, and they were really kind of disgusted with what they were seeing representative on yeah. on TV and in culture. And this was their this was kind of their state of the union and their response to that. It really cool, really cool response. Yeah, they're like a, a moral kind of conscious voice in in that culture and in the uh, hip hop, certainly of the '90s. I love, they have an album from uh, Artificial Intelligence. I love that album. Yeah. And this one's great, too. Yeah, they're good. They're, so their ones, they're right there with, with A Tribe Called Quest. They transcend that four great album barrier mm-hmm. that I've, I've talked about is really tough in hip hop. Yeah. And um, they're, 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 in my opinion, they are absolutely on the Mount Rushmore of hip hop. Yeah. So. So if you want to hear these guys, you either have to find it on YouTube or buy the CD. Yep. Yeah. They have they have a couple right. of albums that are streaming that are with different. They have a, a one that they just did recently, like in the last couple of years, which I didn't love that much. I didn't give that much attention to. Um, it was I think th- there was no samples on that. Did you listen to that? The the anonymous nobody. Yeah, I, I thought the title track was really cool, really clever. Yeah. Um, I thought it had something important to say, but the, the overall, the whole album was yeah. was mediocre to yeah. me. Yeah, but yeah, they and then they. I think you can listen to the grind date. I think you can stream that one, which has a good collaboration with MF Doom. But other yeah. than that, um, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a tragedy. It's an absolute tragedy, kind of that they're they're currently erased from the. So should we uh, should we move on to? Oh, you have something from Mr. Hermano Steve Ricks, right? I do. He sent us a voice message. If my phone will work, to a little guest voice message. Send it. Okay, okay. Hey, this is uh, Steve Ricks broadcasting from my home office. I have some '90s alternative going here. Then I'm through with you. This is this was probably like the number one hit the year it came out. But anyway, this is a very pieced together last minute list of five top picks from the 90s for me. And uh, so a quick list. There's some, there's, I'm sure some key players left out. It's also really lame in gender diversity. All male artists. Well, male, male, mostly male. Some mixed with the bands, but... Here we go. Here's just—I don't know if this is in a particular order, but here's five for what they're worth. Planet of Sound, Pixies, off uh, Trompe Le Monde, uh, their last studio album with the the original lineup. Uh, we've got World in Your Eyes, Depeche Mode, mm-hmm. off Violator. Mm-hmm. See, I'm not going in chronological order. Sorry, man. I know that's your your podcast deal. Uh, let's let's also include. Uh, let's see, a number three, a number three, or a third pick. Uh, let's turn off the '90s in the background. Thank you. So the third pick, <laughs> I'm going to pick. I had mentioned to you guys. By text, which, you know, I really wish you guys could do better at responding to my texts. I put a lot of thought into it. I reach out. I just don't hear back. 
But anyway, uh, Soul Coughing, really one of my top five bands of the 90s. Uh, they didn't get along so well. I, if you listen to the WTF podcast, Mark Marin with with uh, Mark Doty. No, not Mark Doty. Uh, Mike, Mike, Mike Doty. Mike What's going on here? Soul Coughing. They, the guys in the band treated him like crap, but he's a great singer. Anyway, but it was a great mix of uh, samples, electronics, the funky lyrics. So Super Bon Bon. By Soul Coughing off the album Irresistible Bliss. Um, that's three. <laughs> of course, you got to put we got to put some Radiohead <laughs> in there. So uh, my pick for Radiohead is Climbing Up the Walls off OK Computer. A lot of tracks you could put off OK Computer on there. Um, I I came to the Radiohead a little later after you know after their first few albums had already been out. So I really came to them about the time of OK Computer and Kid A and went backwards with them. But yeah, I I love that track on that album. That's a deeper cut. And then finally, number five uh, is a is a wild card, and it's one kind of the way Jordan always throws in these jazz or other picks which aren't really rock or pop music but uh jazz saxophonist composer henry threadgill Mm. really amazing guy amazing stuff and i came to him in the 90s and he's got a he's got an album called too much sugar for a dime yeah uh the first track on that album tiny pocket size demons awesome track uh for bass they have uh, tuba. Uh, they have two <laughs> guitarists in the band, and it's just instrumental awesomeness. Mm. There's my '90s take on a very short notice and quick thinking. <laughs> Goodbye, gentlemen. Nice. Well, thanks, Ricks. <laughs> nice. Doctor Ricks. Did he mention he's? Did we mention he's a doctor? Um, yeah, he is. He is doctor yeah. of music, composition. Well done. I'm I'm interested in checking out Henry Threadgill, Tiny Pocket Size Demons, and if <laughs> when he brought right, have that you up, heard of him, Jordan? I haven't heard of him, but when he brought that up, I thought you know there was a lot of jazz I was listening to in the '90s as a saxophone performance major initially at BYU, and a lot of it was old jazz. But I listened to my fair share of '90s stuff too. I didn't know Henry Threadgill. My guess it's a little more. Uh, avant-garde than what I was into at the time in terms of what was coming out. I was listening to Joshua Redman and James Carter, Brad Meldow. Um, but there's a lot of good 90s jazz stuff um, that I could have added but didn't. But thank you to Dr. Stephen Leon Ricks for bringing in his top five. Yeah. All right, uh, where are you going? I am surprised by his Radiohead pick. That's that's the one song that I usually have to skip on that album. It's just too grating to me hmm. somehow. I don't know. But it takes all kinds, doesn't it? One man's grating is another man's <laughs> something. Yeah. He does really like the Pixies, though, which yeah. you gotta you got to like stuff that's grating if you're going to like the Pixies. Oh, what? Come on. Yeah. This guy. This guy right yeah. here. I think you need to spend some time with the Pixies. I, I try to, and every time I listen to him, I'm like, this is really annoying me. Oh, this is the hottest take that's ever happened on this podcast. Wow, this is yeah. You don't think they're trying to be annoying? 
That's their whole. No, they're combining oh, aesthetics. They're combi- to uh, oh. to be uh, noisy. They're they're using noise as art. I, I know. It's like Sonic Youth, man. Yeah, yeah. same deal. <laughs> I but I like it better with the Pixies. I feel like they 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 come back to a mellow place. That like okay, I can gear up for the next the next onslaught, and it feels nice. <laughs> I'm all in on the Pixies. Yeah. All right. I think we're on like hour four of part yeah. two. Let's, um, let's should we wrap, wrap this, this thing up? Let's wrap this thing up. Overrated, but, underrated. Yeah. yeah let's start keep it start with 10 minutes. Underrated. Who's first? Underrated. Okay. Or sorry, no, overrated. That's we right. We start, start with overrated, overrated first. Yeah. yeah. Who's first? I'll go first. I'll be short. Okay. I chose Green Day and I only wrote down two notes. I didn't research anything. I just wrote down some 41. Wrote down <laughs> lame. That's all I wrote down. <laughs> So Some are you 41. saying Sum 41's overrated or Green Day's overrated? Green, Green Day's my pick for overrated in the 90s, but my in my notes of rationalization or justifying that pick, I just wrote Sum 41, and I wrote... I don't nine. know what that means. Are, are you saying, like, Sum 41 wouldn't exist and we wouldn't have to deal with their existence if it yeah. weren't for Green Day? I just say Green Day's, like, the original Sum 41 to me. Yeah. I th- I, yeah. I think you could just get away with saying they're the original Green Day, and that's yeah. Like, I'm just saying those were those were my notes. I'm that's harsh, like, harsh enough I, critique. Yeah, why did I justify it? I just wrote some 41 and lame. So you you think they got too too popular? Yeah, I just for, think for what uh, they did. I mean they had they yeah. had yeah they're they're massive. They turned they're into huge. mom music. It's weird. Yeah, and they they're big in the 2000s. I think they released you know like American Idiot in the 2000s, and that was huge and. I, I mean, I haven't listened to him a ton. I just, it, I think pop punk has has usually not uh, like, like it takes the stuff about punk I like the most and gets rid of it. You know what I mean? Like some would say Weezer is pop punk, but I think they're more alternative. But like, you whether you're just listening to the music, you have a few. Like, there's a group called the Descendants that mm-hmm. I I think that Green Day was really trying hard to be like. The Descendants are an SST band. Um, out of California, and they were they were like they covered Wendy by the Beach Boys on one of their mm-hmm. live albums, but they were always singing about heartbreak, and it was it was very, had a very pop feel, but it still mm-hmm. preserved like part of what made punk cool. Somehow Green Day just they felt different to me as well. I agree. Yeah. I, I totally think they're overrated. Yeah, so that's my pick. What do you let's in the interest of time? What do you what do you say, Brandon? What's yours? Uh, I'm going with the, the obvious choice that I thought everyone was going with, but guess not. Nirvana is mine. <laughs> yeah. But I so think it, that ties in with mine. Mine's just grunge in general. I, I kind of yeah. gave my rant in the, in the first half episode we did on this. Um, yeah, it grunge. Uh, I don't, it's, it's so weird to me to go back and revisit it. Like the whole thing. I struggle now. I saw smashing pumpkins last year and it was such a, an awful show. Like mm-hmm. I walked away hating Billy Corgan. <laughs> <laughs> I can agree um, with that. Grunge is overrated. And to you, Brandon, I'd say, I think I would say Nirvana too, if it wasn't for the time I spent with the unplugged album. And see, I, I have not listened to that album. <clears throat> so maybe that, that for reals? that would do it for me. Yeah. Oh man. It's a, that, I think album. it's their best. album. I, I didn't. Um, yeah, I didn't realize all the other kinds of songs that are on there. Like They're, I just saw the, saw the cover of it. And I'm like, why do I want to hear him play acoustic versions of Smells yeah. Like Teen Spirit? But I'm 
I'm basing my overratedness not so much on their uh, their popularity. I th- I think that like I can see why they got as popular as they did, but I I would say critically, like why Rolling Stone has Nirvana Nevermind listed as the number one album of the '90s. I'll, uh, that makes no sense to me. I mean, it's not just Rolling Stone. Like lots of people that you ask, even that like music, Nirvana Nevermind just seems to always be up there. And it's a good album. It, don't get me wrong. It's got good stuff on there and they, they wrote good songs. But to have that in place of Lauren Hill or Radiohead or Flaming Lips or Bjork or Jeff Beckley or any of these things, like there's just there's just not as much you're going to get from Nirvana Nevermind. It seems like saying, uh, you know, with the Beatles is the best album of the 60s. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, should we go underrated? Yep. Do it. Who's first? Okay. Me. Um. Sure. Jordan, you felt like you sound like you wanted to go. Hit well, us, Jordan. I went first on the overrated, so I, I'll just. I guess I will. So, um, for underrated, I'm going to say Tribe Called Quest. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's not that they're. I mean, people say that they're one of the best, but but really, they had. To me, they had four. Their albums fell right in the 90s. So they had five albums in the 90s. But beyond that, um, Q-Tip did his solo album, which, uh, you know, people criticized it, but there's some great songs from that. That one was also produced by his production company with JD or his production group, the Uma, the Uma, whatever you say, however you say it. But they had, he had, or Tribe had five great albums for to me, are specifically great. Their, their second, third, fourth, and fifth albums. And then Q-Tip had his solo album, but they also did a lot of production for other bands, other groups um, during the 90s. And I just think that, to me, they're, they're right up there in terms of for a champion of the decade, but I don't have them as champion of the decade. And I was surprised that I was when I was considering them for champion of the decade, and so that made me think that they are underrated. Uh, usually people talk about the 90s hip-hop like critics and they'll they'll talk more about the west coast stuff or they'll talk about Nas. they'll talk about notorious biggie on the east coast or they'll talk about the west coast with snoop and dr dre and tupac um i think tribe called quest is the most underrated of the 90s have we and i have a song we heard heard some songs from that you want to play another one i I want to play a song from their their last album together before they released one a few years ago, but it's 99, 1998. The album is the love movement. And this is Jason mentioned this producer, JD or Jay Dilla from Detroit, who um, he, and we, and I, we played the song with Lauren Hill and D'Angelo. There was this movement that was a sub movement in like kind of um, spanning hip hop soul. They called it Neo soul. Um, but Jay Dilla was kind of the producer that was the hip hop element of that quest love, you know, from, from the roots you have D'Angelo, it spans into the early two thousands where it became a bigger deal with Erica Badu. And, and a lot of it had to do in terms of the beats, there was this kind of non uh, quantized beat situation where oftentimes the, the beat didn't, it wasn't quite swinging like jazz, but it wasn't as precise as the normal computer, you know, drum track. So this song is called Find a Way on Tribe's uh, fifth album. 
mm-hmm. the love movement and jd produced it um it's a great great track D- dilla's on the record as acknowledging like almost intentional imperfection Messing me up my whole head, teasing me just like Tika did Martin. Now look at what you starting. Schoolboy crushing it ain't on the hush, the whole world see it, but you can't. Uh. My people they complain, sitting raving rant. Come on. Your name is out my mouth like an ancient chant. Got me like a dog as a pausing pen. <gasps> So there's like a whole kind of movement of lo-fi, kind of chill hip-hop, just hip-hop, just beats. And a lot of it is based off of this kind of uh, late 90s collaboration between JD and, um, and Q-Tip and then D'Angelo's uh, record Voodoo that comes out in 2000. And it's it's... Yeah, it's a big influential thing. And anyway, that's what I've got to say about tribe being underrated. Okay. I like it. Uh, let's see. I'll, I'll go next. So this is kind of the, uh, the alternative. If, if Nirvana hadn't uh, taken the oh, – what, what am I trying to say? If they hadn't Occup- dominated- Occupied the throne? <laughs> Right. <laughs> they hadn't occupied the throne at the time. Um, my underrated for a similar uh, similar group in that genre is Sunny Day Real Estate. Mm. Um, they don't fit in necessarily with grunge. They kind of straddle this area. They, they're one of the precursors of what would later be known as emo. And uh, similar to grunge, like all the bands that came after that in the genre are mostly terrible. Um, but I think Sunny Day did it right. And so they're, they're one that, you know, the people that, that know about them are, they're very popular with them, but they didn't, they didn't make a very big splash. Didn't get very widely recognized. Uh, these guys also came out of Seattle in the early nineties and they, uh, yeah, they just had, had a lot of really cool songs, did similar kind of format as, as some of those grunge bands with, the. Uh, going between quiet guitars and then loud stuff but they'd also do things with uh, with complicated key signatures and lots of multiple voices and so let's let's take a listen to their track from the uh the second album known as the pink album uh one of my favorites from there so the song is called jenna Got this uh, this little bridge part that they do here. The timing on this is so awesome. Very cool. 
So yeah, for me, they uh, I think these guys are the best of that of that early '90s hardcore slash grunge slash emo that that whole movement. So I have some people, people in my life that. that Sunny Day Real Estate's really important to. They're to me probably like the Pixies are to you. I it just I've never had a song click for I respect me the pick. For me. i do i i will respect your nirvana overrated pick more after next week when you have listened to the unplugged album i have uh, i don't think i told you that yet so <laughs> after you've I, done that <laughs> even after i listen to that i'm not gonna agree and say that nevermind is the best album well, of the 90s well no it's no overrated. no i wouldn't say that but i think you'd say nirvana being overrated you you might you might have a different opinion if you spend some time with that album not that it nevermind isn't overrated just at the band. Anyway, that's not, we're already finished with that. So I got to shut yeah. up. All right, all right, yeah. all right. Sunny day. Okay. So I, I probably should for my underrated pick Iceland, considering it represents 20% yeah, of my, kidding. my top 10, that kind of blew my mind. But I'm not picking them. I've got two names that are kind of tied. One is a, uh, I'm going to cheat and say Stephen Malkmus, who is mm-hmm. kind of the, the main figure in pavement. Uh, but also was a member of Silver Jews. Um, he his '90s run is really incredible. Spent some time with both the Pavement and the Silver Jews discography. Um, the tie that I have with him, and this is the guy I'm actually going to have you play a song by. So my first uh, song I picked was a Faith No More song, and I mentioned kind of the genius of Mike Patton. He was in two groups in the '90s. Well, at least two. He might have been in a third. Um, but the two main ones were Faith No More and then this group called Mr. Bungle. And Mr. Bungle is this weird like carnival trip of music, genius musicians that are just tripped out. Um, and they, I think Patton put out two of the most interesting albums of the decade. So one is Angel Dust that I played a song off of by Faith No More. And then the other is this album called California that he recorded with Mr. Bungle. And California is, it's like a really drugged out Beach Boys surf rock album. It is fascinating. It's one of the most fascinating albums, um, I think, in the last like 20 to 30 years. Uh, Play a song called, probably, let's go Pink Cigarette off of California by Mr. Bungle. Uh, Patton's an underrated genius.
also no one we talked about it before i don't think anyone shifts gears mid-song quite like Patton. i totally get why he's an acquired taste or even a something that's not palatable to some people but i think i think he's one of the weird like musical geniuses that has this constant footnote throughout rock where he's just he's been innovating and doing really like uniquely creative stuff if you're a hardcore music head like familiarize yourself with mike Patton. even if you don't love him i think i think you know, a person would respect what he's done this song reminds me of the soundtrack for twin peaks and the david i was gonna lynch say this is sound- this is this whole album could easily be a david lynch soundtrack yeah. And, you know, that was a, one of the songs I, I ha- unfortunately cut from my 90s list was the, the theme to Twin, uh, Twin Peaks. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm excited for our soundtrack episode. Yeah, that'll be fun. Anyway, this is a super, I think this is one of the most creative albums of the, of the decade, California by Mr. Bungle. Interesting. I'll check it out. Cool. Yeah. yeah. All hey. right. Decade champ. Okay, champ. I'll I'll just start it off. It's it was it came down to between Radiohead, Beck, and Tribe Called Quest, and I chose Radiohead. It was to me it wasn't as that close actually. Radiohead was for me head and shoulders decade champ. Um, I still will say it to anyone. Pablo, Pablo Honey is underrated. There's more songs than Creep on that are, that are good. It's very underrated, and you have the bends, and you have. Okay, computer, and um, wait, what was that other one? That's all. That's it. Okay, so those those albums right there, they're all great albums. Um, you get to see them transitioning, and then they're where they go with it. You know, they're, they're this band that was pretty in that kind of grunge alternative world and could have just been, you know, another, you know, band that doesn't really evolve, but they evolved in, a, in an amazing way were like the Beatles in that they were able to grow their commercial appeal as they evolved and became stranger and, and, and seemingly more artistically kind of, you know, with integrity in terms of what they wanted to do. Somehow they were able to capture commercial um, success, but you could tell that that's what, that wasn't what they were trying to do, but they were I'm glad that they achieved it. So Radiohead's my champion. Um, I don't, are we doing songs for our champ too? I don't think so. Okay, if we Unless were, somebody that I'll just haven't played. I'll just say if we were, I would have chosen just to be uh, different with it. Would be the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack called uh, was it Game Show Host? The song from Romeo oh, plus yeah. Juliet by Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, so check that one out. Go to YouTube or whatever your streaming service is. Check out the Radiohead song, Game Show Host. Cool. Yeah, I'm with Jordan. Radiohead is decade champ. Uh, you want to add anything, any other uh, commentary to Radiohead? I, if it, if they had one, if Kid no. A came out in the 90s, you know, I, I'm sure you, you would have an easier time with that. But, uh, you know, they they had three great albums. And so I could see you knocking them for that and saying, hey, there's another band that had. But 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 part of that's because I, I do believe that Pablo Honey is is a really great album. So. Yeah, Jordan basically summed it up for me too. Um, I I think they they made a big splash with with Creep, and then they took it to a new level with Benz, um, and had had some good like 
ballady type songs too and you know spread spread their wings with the well and the bottom line is they put out what's probably one of the most important and maybe one of the maybe like the best album of the last like 30 years so i mean that's that's a big deal yep that's something and uh yeah okay okay computer i still love that Mm -hmm. pretty regularly and and the bands too I, i like both of those a lot Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So for me, I just, I, uh, I cheated. I'm going nineties hip hop. Um, I can't separate any particular piece out. It's, it's incredible. I'm just going to go through my list real quick. So you're picking a genre as the champion. I am. Well, Ooh. a very specific yeah. era. Well, he picked a genre for the overrated too. That's so. true. This is interesting. Bongo. This is a little bit of a cop out. I I will I will agree. I'll agree with you there, Jason. So we can call it a cop out, but I did my homework. So I'm going to give you a list of all the names that go into this when I say, and and this is what makes it hard. Um, Public Enemy, Fear of a Black Planet, uh, Gangstar, Hard to Earn, um, Step in the Arena, De La Soul, Stakes is High, De La Soul, uh, De La Soul is Dead, um, Most Deaf, Black on Both Sides. Um, a tribe called Quest, the low end theory, a tribe called Quest, Midnight Marauders, P Rock and CL Smooth, Mecca and the Soul Brother, uh, Wu Tang Clan, Enter the Wu Tang, 36 Chambers, incredible album, Nas, Illmatic, mm-hmm. Outcast, Southern Playlist, a Cadillac Music, which should yeah. have been on there, Jizz's yeah. solo album, Liquid Swords, uh, More De La Soul, um, You've got, you've, you've got Beastie Boys. You've got you've got the Beastie Boys. You've got Black Star, which is De La, mm-hmm. uh, Most Def and Talib Kweli. Mm-hmm. Um, you got DJ Shadow doing his thing. You've got Black Alicious. Um, MF Doom put out Operation Doomsday, Souls of Mischief, Hieroglyphics. Mm-hmm. It goes on and on. The like, it's the it is absolutely the golden era of hip hop. Freestyle Fellowship. Do you like them? Yeah, it's incredible what came out during yeah. that during that decade. In the world true. of hip hop. Uh, parting right. parting thoughts. We've only recorded about seventeen hours of uh, of thoughts about the nineties, which makes sense because this was our our coming of age. Um, <laughs> this is our decade. Decade. Uh, part parting thoughts. My here's here's kind of I guess a, a final thought for me. Um, the nineties was much richer and much broader musically than I remembered it being because I was so caught up in just the, the, what I liked. So to go back and review it was really enjoyable for me and a good reminder that it was, it was much bigger than just grunge. By the way, let's mention, we do have playlists of, uh, of our songs on Spotify. You can follow, um, you can follow our Spotify list of playlists. It's just look up, let the music be your master. And yeah, we've, we've got those on our, our website as well. And and some polls where you guys can vote on on your own top tens. So check those out. Also, if you've got comments, go to our website. Let's uh, let's read a few uh, emails that we've gotten. Some uh, some fan mail. Uh, hello, my name is David. I want to very first begin by stating the website is remarkable. Oh, nice. About that? I feel like you can use a bit more text material though, and I know it's rather irritating producing all of it yourself. Do you, by mm-hmm. chance, also have difficulties making reports, guides, digital info for your product? And s- Wait a second. Are they trying to sell you something? <laughs> Are you seriously reading an advertise- a promotional? That's yeah, an email we got. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we need to end this be- before we all go crazy right now. Oh, here's the real one. 
I mean, that, that I really did get that email. But oh, uh, here's one from Jeff Archibald, a uh, friend from, from way back. I was in a band with Jeff. Maybe a couple bands. Nice. Um, he says, this is commenting on our Best of the 60s episode. This is Berkeley Muse, totally slaps, as the kids say these days. Barroom piano, the driving bass, the harmonies, the hand claps, hard to beat. Keep them coming. We love the emails. Yeah. And, uh, Carrie, our friend Carrie Russin wrote again, guys, I'm back. Uh, just listened to the 80s episodes, and I'm here to say it's a tragedy that Paul Simon's Graceland album wasn't discussed. Yeah. Recorded in 1986 in South Africa during apartheid, which was pretty controversial. He used many African musicians that were unknown in the U.S., including famed bassist Bakithi Kumalo. It's a great album. It really is. Yeah. Uh, and it, uh, it made my honorable mention... Yeah, I, uh, it probably should have should have made my top ten too. Paul Simon might be underrated. Just his his yeah, he's great. Graceland's so one of my all time favorite travel albums. Like if I'm going on a road trip, Graceland is absolutely in automatically in rotation. The Mississippi Delta was shining like a national guitar. I am following the river down the highway through the cradle. Do you know what we, we mentioned, or we did not mention, that we might get some hate mail for today? And it was on my top ten list, and I'm surprised, Brandon, you didn't have it. I know, Jason, you're not a big fan, but we didn't talk one word about Weezer today. Not I one. think we talked right, the right amount. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised, Brandon. I thought that you were going to have uh, Say It Ain't So. And so uh-huh. I had El Scorcho from Pinkerton, uh-huh. which in my, in my research, you know, people were saying that Pinkerton album was actually one of the, the beginnings of emo, which actually made me also kind of want to take it off the list, similar to your Sunny Day Real Estate thing. But I, lo- uh-huh. I really love Weezer's first two albums, or the, the Blue Album and the Pinkerton Album. Uh, just saying, and if anyone's listening and hating us right now, you can still send us an email, but Weezer was a band in the 90s, and they're still a band, and yes. Yeah, but I mean, in a list where Neil Young, Harvest Moon doesn't make the ten, top 10, right. Weezer's not making it. Yeah, Sorry. I hear you, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, but we, I, we neither of us mentioned them in our honorable mention. Yeah, and so I think True. that was just an oversight. They'll, right, they'll I, get covered in our in our '90s alternative episode. Yeah, I feel like I've run a marathon, guys. Yeah, it's time. It's time. Okay. Well, thanks, gentlemen. Yeah. And uh, the rest of y'all. Hey, stay safe out there, day. huh? Yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs>